Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you. And then last night you were talking about pizza. And then I was like, fuck, I could make pizza. I had I had all of the things. So, so you made it yourself this morning. I did. Yeah. Damn woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm marry you one day. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so hilarious if oh we got my married? God. Like such a funny joke. If we just like <laughs> told everybody that we were engaged and yeah. then we just got married. Like, wouldn't that just be so funny? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Financially sound. I, I feel like we should just tell people we're getting married just so we could get the gifts. And it would be the ultimate grift. Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Hamlet. I forbid you. I was really trying to get the at the back of my throat. Stop! Oh, I'm sorry. The grossest noise. I. Sorry. And this week, we're talking about King Lear 301. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. Oh, I wish everyone could see Jess's face right now. It's so mad. I'm I would really. I'm going like, to die. I'm sorry. Is, I had no idea that, that you were last. that queasy. <laughs> it's like that from noise. a distance. Oh, I it's, had no I idea. I can't. It no really idea. gets me. Sorry. Anyway, um, this is a 301 level episode, and 301 episodes are a lawless place with no rules. We fucking mm-hmm. do what we want. Yeah. We You're will... not my real dad. Nope. I definitely am not. <laughs> real or fake. You know who I'm... is my real dad is Fat Boy Hambutt. Who? Never mind. That's... Never mind. We'll go over this afterwards. It's not oh, important. I'm sorry. <laughs> we will be operating on the assumption that you have a passing familiarity with King Lear. So we're not going to do a synopsis in a 301. <laughs> Definitely. We kind of are, though, in this episode. I mean, we are, <laughs> we really but we're are. not. Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna summarize other people's Lears, but not Shakespeare's Lear. So if you need a refresher on Shakespeare's Lear... We have 101 and 201 episodes for you in our back catalog. Go find yeah. them. Also, just keep listening, though, because you'll get all the all the information you need. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so anyway, you know, in, in 301 level episodes, we want to explore a single aspect of the play under discussion. Uh, and this week it's Spy versus Spy, but it's actually Lear versus Lear versus Lear versus Lear. So. And if you, and and it's sad that you can't hear the spelling variation I know, in the way we've you know Liar. changed up the Lear versus Lear versus Lear. So anyway, Lear versus Lear versus Lear versus Lear versus Lear. But before that, before any of that, we have our happy hour, which is a cocktail of stuff <laughs> that makes us happy in this dumpster fire of a time. 
like inclusivity, decolonization, anti-racist pedagogy, puppies and kittens and rainbows. Oh my. Um, Where we recommend some shit that isn't terrible. Um, And especially this week, you know, to, It'll be, what, this episode comes out the Monday after Thanksgiving, so Mm -hmm. uh, you will have just experienced Black Friday and Mm -hmm. Cyber Monday. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're giving you a Shakespeare-inspired gift guide for all of your holiday shopping needs. This is my idea, and I'm really excited about it. It's a really good idea. It's a great (laughs) idea. Um, In honor of that, would you like to go first? Um, Yeah, so the first thing that I want to offer up is just a, it's an easy breezy, nice and simple, straightforward, get them an Arden edition of their favorite play. Um, Call up your local indie bookstore, ask them to order it rather than going through Amazon or whatever. Um, Arden editions are usually like about $15, so they're you don't have to break the bank. They have a nice selection also of non-Shakespeare plays uh, for those of you with Middleton or Fletcher or Webster lovers in your life. Um, And once upon a time, like three years ago, we did a whole Burbage break about how Arden editions are the gold standard in single text editions of plays. (laughs) So stand by that. Get get them an Arden. Yeah. Gold star for the people who can search through our back catalog and find it because I legit don't remember which episode it's on. I think it might be Tempest, but I don't don't know know. why I think it might be Tempest. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, uh, my first recommendation is is for the foodie or or the the budding chef in your life. Um, if you know and love the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, then you know the person I'm about to mention. He's a gift that keeps on giving, all on his own. John Tufts, um, who's been a longtime actor there, and he's just a, a treasure. Um, he apparently has composed a Shakespearean Shakespeare inspired cookbook. It's called. Fat Rascals Dining at Shakespeare's <laughs> Table. Like, bonus points for that title, bud. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, and you can get it directly from his website. We will put the link on our landing page for the show. But, um, yeah, it's like 200 pages of meals inspired by Shakespeare's text and etc. It sounds really awesome. Also, if you go to his website, there are adorable little videos of him and his little boy cooking Stop. some of those meals. So cute. So cute. They're they're really cute. (laughs) Amazing. Um, If you have like some cash to burn and Mm. someone that you really want to impress, why not get them a folio facsimile? Mm. Uh, Again, the gold standard for that is going to be the Norton facsimile compiled by Charlton Hinman. And it usually runs like about a hundred dollars. Uh, so again, order from your local indie. Um, and if you don't have a local indie, order from my local indie, which is the Ernest and Hadley bookstore in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They're awesome. Shouts them out. Order from them. <laughs> Will do. Um, <laughs> if you're the type of gift giver who likes to give experiences rather than stuff, mm-hmm. um, you still can do that even when we should not be traveling. Like, don't travel and spread disease. Um, But you can still give experiences. You can still, you know, buy a gift certificate for your local theater for tickets at another time. Or there are plenty of organizations, not just theaters, but I'm thinking particularly theaters because hashtag support the arts, uh, that are doing classes online. And, like, you can gift your sister across the country 
a workshop that you can do together or something. I don't know. Uh, if you don't have a local theater, um, you can always go to the ASC. We have a Shakes series, SHX, starting at a, a base price basically of 100 bucks. So again, this is on the cash to burn end, but <laughs> like that's a little, a little higher. You know, it's about 100 bucks. But you can give an experience. You can give a learning experience for the nerdy person in your life and have a, you know, like a long distance bonding fun time so try that i love long distance bonding anyway uh do you want a face mask with shakespeare on it because yes, obviously you, i do you can get those things um etsy's got you covered there's a really really cute one we're gonna link to um that it has it has a shakespeare quote on it about being masked which i love it i'm so into uh it's so meta that's great yeah I mean, just like Etsy. Come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything. Everything you could want is on Etsy. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my final gift guide is more for the environmentally minded. I mean, Shakespeare is great, but so is this planet we live on, and I'd like to keep it for a while. Um, I likes it, and I, I will. I want to willingly waste my time in it. Um, so cons- just consider whatever you buy for folks, like zero waste packaging and wrapping paper when you do your gift giving. You know, consider it uh, like an original practice. The early moderns were really good at repurposing literally everything. That's why you can't even find like foul papers of most manuscripts anymore because they were recycled into bookbinding. So like mm-hmm. recycle. Um, one of the coolest things that you can do that I've discovered this year is plantable wrapping paper, which is so awesome. Um, yes. So like, yeah, it's got like wildflower Tell seeds in it. Yeah. So you don't even have to like throw it away. You can meaningfully lay it out on your front lawn and it will become wildflowers in the spring, which is awesome. It's the gift that literally keeps coming back <laughs> and keeps I'm on so giving. Yeah. So we'll post a link up uh, to that as well. Um, okay. So then my last suggestion is, I mean, that also, uh, but there's a, a, a brass bookmark that I found on the Etsy uh, that is in the shape of a snake and it's mm. got Lady Max quote about looking like the innocent flower but being the snake underneath Ooh, it. Ooh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, so get on the Etsy and do that. Anyway, uh, we also just want to remind you to support small businesses, support local businesses this holiday yes. season order early if you're shopping online like yes. today would be good uh mm-hmm. you know just remember all of that and also we hope you all had a happy thanksgiving yeah hope you ate the good <laughs> yeah hope you yeah. ate to your till your pants burst but we also hope that you ate safely and not around high-risk people who are outside of your household that too that too yeah, just be safe, y'all. Be yeah. safe. Make good choices. Make yes. good decisions, as we used to say in our MFA. Wait, not bad ones? I shouldn't make bad decisions? No, no. Make good decisions. Oh, good decisions. Yes. Got yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, should we talk about a little little King Lear? Yes, all the Lears. Okay. Except for Shakespeare's. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to tell you about four different um, Lear plays but they're all kind of the same but they're Mm -hmm. not but they are um so the first one is king lear and his three daughters and this is taking the place uh this week also for our keeping up the queensmen segment 
What is the play and what is my part? Because King Lear and his three daughters is a Queensman play. Um, How convenient. Yeah, instead of doing it like separately, we're just doing it together. Uh, So it was written in 1589, probably, and printed in 1605. Coincidentally, you know what else happened in 1605? Shakespeare's King Lear. No way! Right? So weird. Um, So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the plot of King Lear and his three daughters. Um, King Lear, is marrying off his daughters and he decides to publicly test them on how much they love him and then he'll divide his kingdom between them for their dowries. The youngest, whose name is Cordella, speaks very simply and doesn't match her older sister's effusive claims of love, so Lear banishes her and divides the kingdom just between Goneril and Regan. Cordella plans to make her life as a seamstress, but she accidentally bumps into the King of France and he marries her instead. Um, Goneril and Regan are super sick of their dad and conspire to murder him, but the Mm. plot is foiled when a messenger has a crisis of conscience and warns Lear. His advisor... Perilous mm. convinces Lear to go join Cordella in France. Cordella and Lear reconcile. The king of France invades Britain and they win. He restores Lear to the throne and Lear then offers to resign it and let France rule. Sound familiar? Kind of? Yes, indeed. <laughs> like a, a little bit? Like Tiny I, bit. Yeah. I mean... TBH, I'm way more interested in this version of the play because this Lear sounds way more likable than Shakespeare's Lear. Yeah. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. King Lear and his three daughters. Tell us awesome. about a different Lear, Aubrey. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> briefly, just to put it on the timeline, really, I'm not going to dwell on it because, again, we have right. two full episodes dedicated to it. Um, what? Yeah. We we've we we've, we've been there, done that. Uh, in 1605, a a young man from Stratford named William Marciful Shakespeare. Marciful. I just made that name. Uh, I just made Not that name. name. Up. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Shut up. Do you mean is that like a combination of Marcellus and Merciful? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, um, so I was. I think I was trying to of. say Percival, but it came out oh, Marciful. Okay. Uh, Marcellus and per- whatever. Um, I, I get to make shit up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut Carry up. On. Carry on. Uh, okay, so we know what happens in this one, but in case you yep. forgot, here are our five word unhelpful titles from our Lear 101 episode that are definitely going to jog your memory and you'll remember <laughs> everything. Um, mine was, You Started It, Old Man. <laughs> and mine was, Baby Boomers Love This Play. Doesn't that definitely jog your memory about Those all fucking helpful. all of the salient plot points in Shakespeare's version of the story? You're oh welcome. God. It's a, it's very very helpful. It's not what helpful. We talk about in the 201. We talked about adaptation and audience contact via questions. Oh yes, I talked about Erotima and Aporia. Um what shall Cordelia do? Blah blah blah. Uh, and you talked about the fifth never. Oh, the short I line sure of the did. four nevers instead of the fifth never, and that's that was kind of it. <laughs> that's from For my that dissertation. Episode. That's from yeah. my dissertation. Oh, baby, 
yeah a year ago like I had just written that and like now I have just revised that whole chapter and I'm gonna finish my dissertation yes you are yes you are did that did that spot did that piece make it through the revisions did it survive oh awesome Uh, even better it got it got really expanded because it's really fucking interesting it's a strong part of my argument so anyway it's very exciting another Lear. Yeah, so that, that was it for Shakespeare's Lear. Like, whatever. Um, the I think the more interesting one is next yeah. up on the Lear timeline is uh, Nahum Tate's The History of King Lear from 1681. Um, but this was the dominant Lear until George III, who you all remember was mad. Um, and, also, he's the guy who lost the colonies. He's the guy who lost the colonies because he was mad. Um, There's a whole movie about it. There is. And he features very strongly in Hamilton. Um, What comes next? La, la, la. Okay. Uh, So this play was fully outlawed after that uh, because, you know, George III was mad and as out of deference to his mental illness. Um, So this, this particular version of Lear was really, really popular for a cup like a couple of centuries until yeah. suddenly it was not anymore and then people dragged the hell out of it and continue to do so to this day. Yeah. So <laughs> basically yeah, um it had it had really high highs and really low lows. And and part of the reason that it was changed so much and that it really resonated with a particular uh generation or generations i suppose is because it leans very heavily on restoration culture and ideals which is why it so feels so like off now and why it gets dragged now of his own version though tate is quoted as saying he had found a quote heap of jewels unstrung and unpolished yet so dazzling in their disorder that he soon perceived he had seized a treasure, end quote, and how he found it necessary to, quote, rectify what was wanting in the regularity and probability of the tale, end quote. So basically he's saying, like, here's a pile of shit covering a couple really cute diamonds, and I'm going to brush them mm-hmm. off and dust yeah. them up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's, uh, he's uncovering Shakespeare's actual diamond. By chipping away Yay. all of Shakespeare and putting in his own stuff. So uh, here's here's what uh, your man Tate does with the story of King Lear. Um, his version omits the King of France completely and instead adds a romance between Cordelia and Edgar. That's the good Ed, not the bad Ed, um, who never talked to each other in Shakespeare's original. Um well, original in air quotes in Shakespeare's version, <laughs> right? Because Jess has pretty firmly established it was not original. Learned. Yeah, um, Cordelia explains to us, the audience, in an aside, that her her motive for remaining silent when Lear demands, you know, public effusions of love is that she wanted him to leave her without a dowry so that she can escape the quote loathed embraces of Burgundy. Cool plan, <laughs> bud. Yeah, good plan, lady. That. Smart girl. She's a smart cookie. Um, She's going to diss her dad because there's no easier way to do that (laughs) than to leave yourself dourless. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also no fool in Tate's version. So, like, all the fun is gone. Um, And so Lear, who is left to his, yeah, his daughter's mercies, um, has only the disguised Kent as a friend. There's nobody else. Um, Cordelia, who, because... 
the king of France does not exist in this play. She never leaves for France. Um, she becomes the one who helps Lear through the storm. Uh, Tate also thoughtfully gives her a, like a girlfriend named Aranti or Arant, probably Aranti. Um, Edmund, the bad Ed, the bastard Ed, is less sexy and more rapey in this version. He plans to rape Cordelia and send two ruffians, he sends two ruffians to abduct her. Um, Edgar saves her. Cue eye roll. I know, right? So that sucks. He just makes, basically he makes the, like he turns around a lot of the good stuff and makes it real, real good. And he makes the the bad people really, really bad. So he takes it to a lot of, he's very polar this this version. The the battle to restore Lear to the throne comes directly from the British people who are fed up with Goneril and Regan. They are yes. indignant. They are indignant at their treatment of their daddy and they are outraged that they have that that they have blinded Gloucester whose name name Tate has thoughtfully respelled so that it's is spelled the way it sounds now. Instead of looking like Gloucester and sounding like Gloucester, he just spelled it G-L-O-S-T-E-R, Gloucester. But <laughs> Thanks. Liam Tate was English, wasn't he? Sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That, like, you don't um, know. So, so uh, he, he changed the spelling. Um, as with Shakespeare's version, though, Lear's side does, still loses the battle and he and Cordelia are still taken prisoner. Edmund goes around uh, the Duke of Albany's wishes and sends a secret message to have them hanged, kind of like Shakespeare's version. Um, the Eddies fight. Edmund dies, still an unrepentant asshole. What's the matter? Nahum Tate is Irish. Oh, he was Irish. And his last name at birth was spelled Teat, <gasps> like the thing you suckle from. Uh-huh. And his dad's name is Faithful Teat. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> oh no! That's I'm amazing. Delighted to learn this. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, but I think it was for a good cause. No, that was so worth it. That was so worth it. Carry I'm on. sure it was pronounced Tate, though, I'm because sure. Because there, uh, there's an artist, an Irish artist named and poet, and also artist named Yates. But it's spelled Y E A T S. Oh yeah, like Yeats. like Yeats, but Yeats. it's Yates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although weirdly, Keats is spelled the same way, but it's pronounced Keats and not Kates. Yeah. Whatever. Because he wasn't Irish. He was an Irish. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's Irish. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. No wonder he took took such really fun liberties <laughs> with this with this work of Shakespeare. Learning um, and British pseudo history. Awesome. Totally awesome. Thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the Eddies fight. Edmund dies an unrepentant asshole, like he does. Um, Ghani and Ray Ray secretly poison each other. <laughs> Those are their names. Love that. Gloucester survives instead of dying of shock um, after his eyes are removed. Uh, Lear valiantly kills two men who approach Cordelia to try to hang her because remember Edmund is still trying to get them killed um, and Edgar and Albany arrive just in the nick of time with a reprieve from the hanging. Albany resigns the crown to Lear. Lear announces Cordelia shall be queen and then immediately gives her to Edgar saying I wronged him too but here's the fair amends because women are still furniture apparently um, and Lear and Kent and Gloucester decide to retire to, quote, 
some cool cell, end quote. I guess that's early modern or that's restoration speak for man cave. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, the overjoyed Edgar declares that the truth shall at last succeed. And I guess that's a happy ending. Um, I mean, they live. So they yeah. all live. And like Cordelia and Edgar like skip off into the sunset or whatever. What's fun about this particular version of, of the story, though, is that it actually still has a long and rich production history. Um, most recently that I know of, the Hidden Room Theater of Austin, Texas, mounted a full production of this version of Lear, replete with restoration style, gestural acting and costumes. Um, there are some really great pictures, uh, production stills on their website if you want to look at that. Also, a really awesome detail to note about this particular production is that The Hidden Room worked with Dr. Farah Kareem Cooper for this uh, project. Hashtag cite scholars of color. Hashtag hire scholars of color. Her book, The Hand on the Shakespearean Stage, um, is also worth checking out if you want to know more about the basis for the gestural techniques that they use in that production. Um, I saw portions of this production because they brought it to a Blackfriars conference. Yeah, it was our MFA year. MFA year. Oh, MFA year. Okay, so then yeah. 15. Because okay. I know. Yes. Yeah, no. fall of 15, we were doing our MFA. Fuck. Yep. <laughs> okay. I know, right? But yeah, if okay, then it was yeah. five years ago that yeah. when they, they when were they, did they this. were workshopping it. Still, it was before, right, like, way way before this. Anyway, yeah. because this production just won a whole bunch of awards, mm -hmm. which means it's like just now been fully mounted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I say just now, I think in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Because Last it's year. a pandemic and right. uh, no one's doing theater. Um. Anyway. Yeah. But it was a very cool thing um, to see how they did it and to see mm -hmm. it kind of brought to life in the in the restoration style with the mm -hmm. gestures and the acting, the acting technique brought into it as well. It was very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's worth looking into. It is a bonkers, way different version of the Lear that we all know and maybe love. I don't love it, but <laughs> some some people love also, it. Baby boomers love it. <laughs> baby boomers love it. It's real weird. Yeah. Um, OK, so then the final Lear that we're going to talk about is MacReady's Lear. Um, was he an Irishman too? With that name. I'll look that up. Never mind. You yeah, why don't me. you look that up? Because <laughs> I don't up. know. Uh, so I want to, I'm just, I'm going to preface this. Absolutely everything that I am about to tell you about MacReady and Lear, I learned from my friend and colleague, Alex Legrand. Um, Alex is finishing her Master of Letters degree at Mary Baldwin University, and she's a fucking rock star. Uh, mm -hmm. And she was kind enough to sit down with me this week and tell me all about her research, which centers on William Charles MacReady and his production of King Lear. He was um, English, by by the way, he was okay. English. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Um, so everything that I am saying, I know because of Alex, and I'm going to quote from her rather extensively uh, in a, in a bit. But thanks, I just, Alex. I wanna, yeah, Alex is amazing, and just like, boy, she's one to watch. She's she's gonna blow us all out of the water. I. Her work is so good. Hide so your good. jobs. Hide your kids. <laughs> yeah. Hide your jobs. Hide your journals. Yep. <laughs> she coming hide for you. I mean, also don't hide any of those things. Give yeah. her all the jobs and all the journals because she's yeah. her. It's so good. It's anyway. Okay. Um. So when George III died, there was like a mad dash to get productions of King Lear back on stage um, and Drury Ra Drury Lane was one of the the prominent theaters in London and they were mm -hmm. the first ones to get there uh, and their first production was a shit show 
It was bad. Nobody liked it. It was terrible. They hated it. The end. And then William Charles McCready came to the rescue and he Mm. mounted his first significant production of uh, King Lear in 1834, which adhered to Tate's plot structure, but it restored the original ending. But it kept the the fool cut. Hmm. Um, so that that was interesting and exciting, and it was sort of like a a, a, a restoration, if you will, of ah. of, of Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, but then the production that McCready became known for happened in 1838 for the first time. He reintroduced the fool because his bestie like threatened a protest without the inclusion of the fool. Um, And also the fool was played by a woman. And then sidebar, the original person cast as the fool was a homie named Drinkwater Meadow. Legitimately, that was his name. And I just have some questions about where people are getting names like Drinkwater Meadow in England in the 19th century like where is that name coming from um 1960 called they want their names back right jesus so because of this production it became a dominant tradition to cast a woman as the fool for decades for decades 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 this this was the done thing um he also added a character named lochran and i might look at this word and pronounce it Locrine. Uh-huh. We have done have we done an episode on the tragedy of Locrine? No, we did Musidorus. <laughs> we would not do. Locrine is a terrible play. Um so I might pronounce this Locrine, but Alex has done plenty of research on on all of these things and has determined that the name was most likely pronounced Locrine, so that's what I'm gonna say. And then McCready performed the exact same cut of this play from 1838 to 1851, which is a long ass time to not make any changes in the cut of a play. It was billed as Shakespeare's original text. It was a huge selling point. It was a huge advertising tool. People loved it. It was a fucking triumph. They went batshit for it. Um, So what Alex has to say about this is now I'm just I'm going to read you some stuff that Alex said until until I stop talking until I tell you these are Alex's words here we go McCready's decision to restore the authentic Shakespearean text of the play derives from a mindset of theatrical antiquarianism this term is used to describe the Victorian preoccupation with the past and the attempt to unite it with one's present and future McCready's most noteworthy augmentation to Shakespeare's King Lear was his addition of a character named Lochran. Beginning with his 1834 production, he introduced Lochran while he prepared his prompt book. This character derives from the 1595 play The Lamentable Tragedy of Lochran, a play once attributed to Shakespeare. Admittedly, Lochran is a minor role in King Lear. His primary function is as a messenger, appearing briefly in scenes only to disappear once more. The first time we see Lochran within the play proper is in the opening procession of Act 1, Scene 1, when Lear enters for the first time. MacReady has called for Lochran to enter alo- alongside the character of Curin in a crowd of people, including at least six other lords, six ladies, and four officers, not to mention a herald carrying a crown, another officer with the map, and a physician with a sword. Sidebar, this is Jess Hamlet speaking. Why does a physician need a sword? immediate surgery 
Circumcision. Like, <laughs> amputation. <laughs> Obviously. Great. Okay. And Alex again. What is significant here is that among at least 19 onstage ensemble members, Lochran is named. To be given a name is to be given an identity versus being just another member in the crowd. Because Lochran was named and because he took the stage next to Kieran, a previously existing character, we can infer that he was not meant to be seen alongside the other minor unnamed characters. Instead, we can equate him to Kieran, who in this particular prompt copy is listed as a courtier. More than likely, this means that Lochran was also considered some kind of courtier. Lochran's status as a courtier or messenger figure continues, working to establish his obedience to Lear. Following Lear's outburst in response to Cordelia's refusal of the love test, Lear says, Call France. Who stirs? At this point, the handwritten blocking in the margin calls for Lochran to go off quickly. From this, readers can infer that Lochran was the character going off to retrieve the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy. This is supported by the fact that Gloucester, the character typically charged with retrieving France in other scripts, does not exit from this scene. Lochran does, and while the printed text, not the annotated script edits, call for Gloucester to re-enter with France and the Duke of Burgundy later on, Alex believes that Lochran is the one to escort them on stage. This bit of stage business would establish Lochran not only as a messenger, but a royal one because of his obedience to Lear. This is furthered by his consistent presence on stage with Lear in the first half of the play. As it happens, with the stage business outlined by this prompt book, audiences don't see Lear enter any scene without Lochran until the storm scene. Because audiences consistently see Lochran with Lear, these scenes help authenticate Lochran as a royal servant whose loyalties lie with Lear. Lochran is afforded one last display of loyalty to Lear at the end of the play. Following the duel between Edmund and Edgar, Edmund reveals his plan to execute the king and his daughter. In the effort to make a last attempt to save them, MacReady calls for three knights, Lochran, Kent, and Edgar, to exit in that order. The significance of this comes in Lochran's exit before Kent or Edgar, two characters with larger roles. Of the named characters in the stage direction, Lochran is the first to go to try to save Lear and Cordelia. End Alex quoting. That's wild. It's right. Isn't it so interesting? Uh, and like, here's the thing about the lamentable tragedy of Lochran or Locrine is it's a bad play. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's not, it's, it's a history play. It's boring. It's a bunch of people running around with swords in Britain and like, it's a snooze fest. And I just like, I want to know so much more about why, 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 why is this happening? Um, and Alex has a lot of, uh, a lot more ideas about why this is happening and one of those reasons is perhaps because the tragedy of Lochran or Locrine uh was included in the second and third folios or the third and fourth folios it's it's in two of the four folios it's it's in there because on the title page um of of the 1595 quarto I'm assuming um it says by W.S. And so it's it has long it's part of the Shakespeare apocrypha, right? Um, and most scholars today think no, probably Shakespeare had little, if anything, to do with it. Uh, but Macready seems to think otherwise and is maybe trying to push these two plays together in huh. you know a very very small way. Um, 
but it's really fucking interesting. It's really, really fucking interesting. And, and she's done a, a lot of just really incredible archival research on, on McCready and his prompt books and his life. And it's fantastic. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's McCready's Lear. And for all that we know about McCready's Lear and McCready as like a big time 19th century actor, uh, Lear was not even his best role. Like people were like, yeah, good job. But Macbeth was the one they wanted to see him do. Um, so that's really interesting. And also this motherfucker Charles Keane, who was also one of these big time 19th century actors, uh, was a McCready thief and like spent his whole career trying to get his hands on McCready's prompt books and then copy them and steal them and do his cuts and do his shows. Wow. And we know, we know that Charles Keane stole and copied at least 17 of McCready's McCready's prompt books. Um, and also just like a sidebar, because I'm not entirely sure how much we've ever talked about this. Um, Aubrey, what's a prompt book? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. A yeah. prompt book. Yeah. A prompt book is is something even uh, in the, that continues in the material history of the theater even now. A prompt book mm-hmm. is like the one copy of the play that it's has the one ring all, to rule them all. It's, it is. It is the one copy of the play to rule them all, though mm-hmm. it really is. It's got all of the, what would now be called a stage manager's notes about mm-hmm. very specific elements of that specific production. So it's not like for all time. It is for that specific production. So like if there's music at a particular point... Or if there's, you know, nowadays, if there were cues, like light cues and music cues and whatever, um, those are all written into the prompt book. You know, a prompter was somebody, you know, in the early modern theater that, like, there were no directors. um, So it might have been, for all we know, handed off from person to person as, uh, as scenes got rehearsed and people, like, added in, you know, blocking notes or whatever. Um, Or there could have just been a designated person who was the prompt book keeper and they took the notes and wrote in all of the marginalia and tracked all of the paraphernalia for that particular show um, and which props were pulled and who wore what costume and all of that stuff. So it really is like the holy Bible of a production. The purpose for which would be, um, at least nowadays, that if you wanted to remount a show, if you wanted to do it again, you would be able to do it as close to the original way it was done before, right? It's meant Mm -hmm. to be recorded so that it's repeatable. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole purpose. So that is a long-winded, scatterbrained uh, definition of a prompt book. Sorry. But it's a good one. And I saw, it's funny you mentioned McCready because I saw the name McCready pop up when I was researching the Tate version. Yeah. Um, And it was mostly because McCready was the answer to the Tate version. Like he was the one who started the proverbial dragging Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. Tate Mm -hmm. and Tate's version of the play. Um, yeah, I mean, we probably talked occasionally about this stuff, right? Because yeah. the, the 19th century was big on rewriting Shakespeare. So big. Yeah. They were super into it. Um, yeah. And so there are, there are a lot of Shakespeare's plays out there that exist in vastly different forms um, that held the stage for the better part of a century because mm-hmm. of those fucking Victorians uh, or because of those fucking restorationians. <laughs> yep. I don't, I don't know what that 
time is called. It's the restoration. But then there was the glorious revolution. And then there was, I don't know what came after that. So, but shit happened to Shakespeare. And a lot of it, people thought it was better for like, I think there was up a regency until about the 20th century. Somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn what the regency period was. Cause I'm teaching the second half. It's of early 1800s. It's Jane Austen. It's Jane Austen. Yeah, I'm here. Waste. It's like, uh, I'm going to overlook that for a minute. Um, I hate Jane Austen. Okay, you can hate what you hate. You can't I take. Do. You can't yuck my yum. It's fine. I'm not trying to. I'm um, just saying. It's I not know. For me. <sighs> I'm uh, not yeah. I think less of you for liking Jane Austen. <laughs> I'm saying I don't like Jane Austen. Regency period was um, like the first couple of decades of the 1800s, basically. Okay. Pretty much all of Jane Austen's plays take place between like 1806 and 1815 or something like that. Jane Austen's plays whoops <laughs> novels uh-huh there it is sorry <laughs> all the, it's all the same to me i know, I know. <laughs> they're alive and performed in my head mm-hmm. and also many 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 movies yes. so jane austen's movies all take place from okay moving on <laughs> shall we gossip a tiny bit before i lose my I fucking mind we shall I suppose right. we shall so i won a fancy award say that okay stop (laughs) rewind say that like the goddamn boss that you are and own it it's not a question okay statement so i mean literally 15 minutes after aubrey and i finished recording the last episode yep i found out that i won a fancy award and I didn't understand, and I couldn't process it, and I tried to call Aubrey to help her, to have her help me process it, but she didn't answer because she was sick of looking at my face, so I had to process it with Courtney. It's fine. That or, like, my phone just doesn't ring. Like, it literally doesn't ring. Yeah. So, well, you sorry. should handle your shit. Um, I do. Anyway. I don't want my phone to ring. <laughs> me either. <laughs> We're millennials. Ringing phones? No. We don't. No. We don't answer phones. No. Um, so I won a fancy award from the Society for the Study of Early Modern Women and Gender. They gave me the uh, what is it called? What it's called it was called the 2020 Graduate Student Conference Presentation Award, which basically means I am the best and most smarty pantsistest graduate student working on women and gender yay uh, for all of 2019 um and so this this is yeah so i had i cobbled together a paper um for saa for 2019 uh based on an article that i'm working on that is based on a seminar paper that i wrote like in the dark ages i don't even remember how long ago uh, it's been in, it's been in progress for a while. Anyway, it's on, um, and I'm sure that some of it actually has shown up on this show. It's on uh, the Winter's Tale and Pandosto, and how Leontes is a fucking dick, and also oh, his yeah. analog in Pandosto is a fucking dick. Um, I'm sure that oh, part no, of this. Oh no, we did. Yeah, yes, that, yeah, yes, yeah. Right, this sounds familiar. Um, 
anyway, so they they here's what they have to say about my work, which is really embarrassing for me, but I'm going to read it. So <gasps> read it, read it, read it. Um, the awards committee praised your paper for its careful exploration of how male authors contributed to ideas about gender and the presentation of proper women in the early modern period. The paper justifies a need for feminist rereadings of classic and influential works, not only to continue their relevance to contemporary audiences, but to reveal new layers of the works and their context. You are careful to ground your comparison of Pandosto and the Winter's Tale within the historical context and interplay of ideas about sexuality and familial dynamics. A dominant theme in this exploration is the expression of power over women's bodies and how submission was linked to a powerful expression of women's worth. They're going to send me swag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yay. I get a, I get a, a free membership to the Society for the Study of Early Modern Women and Gender, and they're going to send me a certificate and their swag. I'm going to get swag. Which I'm really excited about. Whatever that means. Just like, it's probably just like a tote bag or some shit, but like... Still. Free swag. <laughs> yeah, never say no to free stuff. Not ever. Yeah. Never, never. Um, so that's cool. And then, like, my my dissertation advisor is the chair of the committee that picked all of these awards. Um, and so she was very careful to send me, like, a follow-up email that was like, I was not involved in choosing you. You're awesome. And you won this entirely on your own merit. And Aww. I'm so proud of you. And I've been sitting on this information for a couple of weeks, and I've just been really excited to talk about it with you. Oh, you know. that's so great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she said that also this this year was by far the most submissions they'd ever gotten for this award so like i don't know i feel good and it makes me think that maybe this article actually has a shot at seeing the light of day because every journal i've sent it out to so far has been like fuck you this is trash and yet it's award winning so what do they know i know i'm just gonna keep keep licking and sticking as they say which which is to lick the envelope closed and stick a stamp on it and send it out to a different uh-huh. journal except that it's all electronic now and right. so i never use envelopes and when i do i can't find them <laughs> because i don't use them ever so i don't have them anyway <laughs> so that's yay that's that congratulations that's yeah. great yeah oh that's great um, well, I'm going to follow up your very happy news with a, a tiny little bit of sad news. Uh, I heard late last night that Stephen Booth, um, emeritus professor of English Lit at University of California, Berkeley, uh, has passed away. He was kind of a big fucking deal in the shakes bubble. And we honor his passing and our, you know, send our condolences mm-hmm. to his family and those who held him close. Um, so Stephen Booth, you will be missed. Thank you for your contributions to our field. To our field. There's the words yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. So just throwing that yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. Um on a different note entirely, mm-hmm. uh the next race for Bore, race before race symposium has been announced and it is now open for registration. It's totally free, totally virtual, and it's taking place over four days in January. Ooh. And I'm so fucking excited. Um we we're gonna throw the registration link up on the landing page for this episode so that you can go do that if you want to do that. Uh but you should totally and one hundred percent check it out. It is an all-star lineup. I'm so, 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 so fucking excited that the pandemic is making it accessible to people who can't travel to Arizona. This is like the big 
deal symposium conference happening in the sub subfield of Shakespeare and early modern race. Uh, but it's not all about Shakespeare. There's plenty of like not even a little bit Shakespeare stuff. Um for the for consumption uh and the theme this year is education and it just it's gonna be so yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be real fucking good so go like slap that registration button so hard (laughs) so hard yeah um and then also uh vanessa corradera is giving a talk on december 9th titled what's wrong with critical race theory question mark um and that promises to be a banger uh there is no sign up link as of the recording of this episode but if you follow dr corridera on twitter i'm sure that you will see it as soon as it comes up um and you can find her at at vi corridera that is v is in victor i is in igloo c is in charlie o is in octagon r is in roger r is in roger e is an elephant d is in delta e is an echo r is in roger a is an alpha <laughs> awesome (laughs) uh anyway she's great on twitter and you should follow her anyway but also like this talk is gonna be i hope i can make it it's um she's doing it through uh, the university of lancaster i think ah in in the uk um so there's no telling for me like what time of day it will be when it happens for me um but as with many things right now i'm sure it'll be recorded and available to watch back um after the fact but it's gonna be amazing i mean with a title like what's wrong with critical race theory Mm. come on yeah that's already like yes spicy yeah and also to be clear i i'm just assuming (laughs) that this is um in favor of critical race theory and not actually listing arguments against it. Just just so you know what to expect. Knowing this scholar and her yes, yeah, previous are, body of work. Yeah, and it's yeah. part of the decolonizing the curriculum series. Mm, okay. So. so if you're a white supremacist looking to tune in to find <laughs> counter arguments, this is not for you, despite the maybe no. misreadable title. But <laughs> this also, is not for you. Maybe if you watch it, you'll learn something. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah, just like so. don't be willfully ignorant for a half a yeah. second and like learn something new. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, so here we go. We've got we've got a lot of stuff that we need to talk about uh, mm-hmm. via past episodes. So I'm just going to take it away and chime in okay. when you when you need to chime in. OK, so sure. we've got a, a very small, very low stakes correction to get out of the way first. Um, on the last episode in Happy Hour, I had recommended a book to you that I'd read by Jasmine Guillory. And when Aubrey asked if it was part of a series, I said no. <laughs> um, and I like I wasn't technically wrong, but now having read everything else that Jasmine Guillory has ever written in the last two weeks damn uh they're all in the same universe right and in fact they're all about the same community so the first Uh. one is about alexa and drew and then the second one is about drew's best friend carlos and the third one is about alexa's best friend maddie and the fourth one is about a maddie's mom and then the fifth one is about alexa's sister so like it's all very and they all all mostly show up as like passing parts in everybody else's books i low-key love that in a book oh my god i love that (laughs) Um, Okay, so that low stakes thing aside, now we are getting to the serious parts of things that we're talking about today. Okay. 
Okay, so I next um, would just like to address all of the jokes that we made at the expense of the French on our last episode. Um, In the hazy ebullience of Joe Biden's America, I let my insecurity about my inability to pronounce French words get the better of me. And while I only intended to make fun of myself as a defense mechanism, that snowballed into xenophobia at the expense of the French, uh, which is not only shitty, but is also a misrepresentation of how I feel about the French, which is very positive. And I apologize for that. I want to own it. I was listening to the episode back and I was like, ooh, this is... This is a lot. This is a lot of dunking on the French, and I didn't. I didn't feel great about it. Are you sure you're not being a little hard on yourself about this whole French oh, thing? I mean, definitely being hard on myself. Okay. What I don't want to happen is for us to say like we oppose xenophobia, and then someone be like, okay, but the French. I'm sorry. This for me, it like, and I thought about this after I read it, but okay. for me, it's like, it's uh, it's definitely not punching down. Like, I don't feel like we're punching mm-hmm. down when we were making fun of the French. Uh, colonizer to colonizer, I kind of feel like they can take it. Okay. I just feel like they can take it. And taking the piss out of somebody is a lot mm-hmm. different than being actually xenophobic. And I would hope that people can hear the irony in our tone and okay. not take it for serious. Because I don't actually hate the nation of France, <laughs> but it is really fun to needle them a little bit because they're so fucking prickly. Right. Yeah. Is that we're all we're learning and growing and trying to be better, right? And I don't want to think of myself as a xenophobic person. And so yeah. that requires some self-reflection when absolutely I say some shit that, you know, and I think had it had it been maybe 15 20% less i probably would have let it go maybe not probably would have let it go but i might not have felt quite so prickly about it mm-hmm. um but it it hit me at a vulnerable moment when sure. i was listening and and reflecting on some other things in my life that i'm about to sure. get to um gotcha. and so i wanted i wanted to address it heard absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely heard we definitely yeah. don't conf- condone actual xenophobia or no. punching down on the little guy no. France is not the little guy. <laughs> no, France is okay. Um, in fact, it seems to me like France is one of the leaders of the free world. Whatever They're that doing means. just fine. They're okay. Vive right? la France. They're, They're doing, doing better fine. than fucking America is right now. So, yeah. so I, anyway. I just I do feel like a little good natured ribbing is not going to hurt them, but it's fine. No. I agree. I just don't think it was a little good-natured ribbing. I think it was a lot of good-natured ribbing. Okay. So, I just... Gotcha. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) So, this week, this past week, uh, Aubrey and I made a decision to remove an episode that we'd recorded last season. We had had a guest on that we didn't know well, and last week, that person engaged in some targeted racist harassment of an early modernist. They didn't stop, even after several attempts were made to disengage and get them to stop. They didn't stop after a lot of medieval and early modern Twitter communities blocked them and locked their accounts and tried to get away. It is, in fact, still ongoing, and it's been at least a week, maybe longer now. So we want to apologize to our community for sharing our platform with this with this person. And I specifically want to apologize to Aubrey and to our listeners for not doing my homework before inviting them to be a guest. 
We want to make it clear that we do not condone racism or racist attacks, and while we believe in free speech, we do not believe that that means you never have to face the consequences for the thing you say. Aubrey and I are committed to inclusivity, and we want to affirm our solidarity with those groups and ind individuals most at risk from the power structures inherent in our world. We strongly oppose all racism, xenophobia, homophobia, sexism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, classism, ableism, and hate speech or actions that attempt to silence, threaten, and degrade others. As educators, we recognize that language and texts help us understand the experience of those whose lives are different from our own, and we commit to learning, listening, and doing better when we get things wrong. We value critical thinking, arguments based in fact, self-reflection, and growth. We advocate for a diverse community inclusive of racial minorities, women, immigrants, the LGBTQ plus community, and people of all religious faiths. We apologize to those who were hurt by our choice to have this guest on our show, and we promise you that we will do better in the future. And that is all also that we're going to say on the subject. Yep. The end. Yep. We're just trying to do better. You know, I'm in a reflective mood of, of trying to get things right and do better. Yeah. Also, it's 2020, and we all need to get things right and do better. And unlearning is hard. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really, like really hard. Deprogramming, even when you have, like, mm -hmm. the best intentions and all of the energy, <laughs> which most of the time we don't. <laughs> Either one thing, one of those things or the other. Like, there's, you know, we don't have 100% of all of those things. Um, yeah. Good intentions or energy. I certainly don't have a lot of energy. So, like, it's hard yeah. to put mental yeah. energy to unlearning stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and and correcting and growing and like that's a lot harder than just being like, well, fuck it, I'm wrong. You got to practice and you got to be OK with yourself when you get it wrong. Right. Yeah. Like you can't you can't use. Well, obviously, I'm going to screw up as an excuse not to try to get it right. But right. be gentle with yourself when you fail and correct yourself and move on. Yeah. Right? Yep. Which is yeah tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. all around it's a tough thing yeah. to do well yeah. on that note thanks everyone for listening um we hope you leave the podcast more informed and in a growth mindset than when you started yeah uh tune in next time we're doing the insatiate countess a play that you've never heard of but we're definitely we're doing both... the insatiate countess yeah. she's insatiate yeah, we're... obviously we gotta try to satiate that countess yep um it's gonna be a good time it so. is. It is. Whamlet out. Whamlet out. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla h-o-l-l-a at hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com you can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on instagram or at hurlyburlyshake no s on twitter i acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which i record the muskegee creek nation and pay my respect to their elders past and present i acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land currently referred to as stanton virginia the Monacan and Manahoac nations, and pay my respect to their elders past and present. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Also, maybe don't put us joking about getting married out there. Why not? Um...
all of our listeners will think that we're getting married. They'll think it's like I'm a joking way to announce you. our engagement. I'm telling you, it's the ultimate grift. <laughs> I mean, all right, do what you want. Uh, do do what you want. And times and maybe, are tough, Jessica. Right? Maybe we'll get a <laughs> like, lot of emails being like, "Can I have a mailing address so I can send you guys some yeah, tweets?" We should. <laughs> You know what we should do is we should register for a honeymoon. Yep. We're not going to register for a honeymoon. Yes, we are. It's, it's a plan. Honey- I'm going to do okay. it right after the, we record. Where are we honeymooning? We're getting Where married. Where are you taking me, babe? Um, Where are you going to show me a good time? New Zealand, obviously. Ew, no. What do you mean? Ew. It's one of the most beautiful countries on the planet it's and they have a lord of flight. the rings tour so your wife doesn't fly she Girl, ain't getting i will on give you grade hours. a cannabis and just let That's you bliss out through it, it yes it will 